Hello, this is Coming to the Mat podcast from the Melanesian Women Today Impact Service Series. Told through the lens of everyday Pacific Island women, the Mat series seeks to break cultural barriers and invite listeners to hear of real human stories of making a difference. The stories you will hear from this series balance diverse interests and weave together the stories of courageous women who dedicate their lives to making a difference in their communities and country. Coming to the Mad series is a safe space for women in the Pacific to use their voices. It also explores the integral aspects of women's lives all across the South Pacific and gives the listeners a window into the many different issues women face through storytelling. And for me, being an indigenous person and working in the archaeology space, which is very male dominated, and it's also very um, um, non um, indigenous because it's a very Western way of studying the past. Mm-hmm. And so, my role as an indigenous archaeologist is kind of like becoming the go between between Western science and our indigenous people. Hello everyone and welcome to Coming to the Mad with me, your host, Dr. Mary Tarisovic. I am excited to have with me on the mat my second guest, who is also a storyteller, a researcher, professor and writer. Pacific cultures involve storytelling. When establishing connections or just sitting around and having a, a conversation, a sharing of ideas, and that is exactly what we are doing here today by way of Talanoa. Now, to give a little bit of a context to the term Talanoa, it is a term used for storytelling, particularly among the Fijians, Tongans, and Samoans. According to our second guest, the term Talanoa is storytelling, or having a conversation, or sharing ideas. It can be formal or informal, and it is often used interchangeably depending on the activity. Now, according to Dr. Seula Johnson Fua, the director of the Institute of Education and USB Tonga Campus, she credits Talanoa as a generic term for referring to a conversation, chat, or sharing of ideas, and talking with someone. It is a term that is used or shared uh, among Tongans, Samoans, and Fijians. Talanoa is, can also be formal, um, between, uh, formal between chiefs, a chief and or his or her people, and can also be informal between friends in a cover circle. Talanoa can also be used for different purposes, like, for instance, teaching a new skill or sharing ideas or to preach or to resolve problems or build and maintain relationships as well as to gather information. So that is according to Dr. Sewell Johnson Fuel. Now, in other parts of the Pacific region, like the Melanesian region, the term talk story is used instead for referring to having a conversation or chat or sharing of ideas or talking to friends. Talk story, according to Dr. Kapani Sanga, is a Melanesian form of dialogue engagement. Uh, Dr. Kapani Sanga is a Solomon Island Associate Professor who, um, Associate Professor at the Victoria University who uh, describes talk story as a way of dialogue engagement. And so 
These terms, Talanoa and uh, talk story, are used in the Pacific to obviously describe uh, storytelling. Um, following the first episode on recognizing Pacific Island women scholars, uh, today is our second uh, guest on here on Coming to the Mat, and I would like to say that these three Pacific Island women are in their own rights, holders and protectors of indigenous knowledge, of their cultures as well as storytellers. So it is my privilege and honor to recognize and highlight the work of my second guest, who has been quietly but very busy working uh, as a researcher and writer in her own respective field and contribution to the field of knowledge in anthropology. The stories that we bring, and when I say that, the stories that we bring to the front are in two uh, in two folds. First, to showcase the work of Pacific Island women, both within the large Pacific diaspora around the world and within the Pacific, and secondly, to give a voice to the many issues that are not necessarily usually captured from a modern context, but can only be truly appreciated when told through the lens of the different cultural contexts from each of the storytellers we bring to the mat. I also want to start off by acknowledging all our women in the Pacific, our Oceanic women and women and mothers and grandmothers, aunties and cousins and young women, not just in the Pacific but also the Pacific diaspora who are listening in. I want to say thank you for the work that you do every day and I do hope that you can be, can be inspired by this Talanoa. So allow me to introduce our second guest to the mat, Dr. Teresi Fuindilo. I was fortunate to talk to Dr. Teresi from her home in Hawaii, where she currently lives with her husband and two children. In our Talanoa, Dr. Teresi unpacked her love for storytelling, uh, anthropology, archaeology, and passion to inspire students about the histories of places, artifacts, and indigenous people. So Dr. Teresi, Dr. Teresi Fuindilo is an assistant professor of anthropology at the University of Hawaii, Hawaii at Hilo, uh, where she teaches courses on indigenous missiology and heritage management. In 2016, she received her PhD in Pacific Studies from the Center of Pacific Island Studies at the University of Auckland. Her thesis was titled Yao Vagaviti Fijian Treasurer, Treasurers, Cultural Rights and Repatriation of the Cultural Materials from International Museums. Dr. Teresi has published several articles about Fijian poetry, um, language and archaeology and has published two books as well. Her current area of research is physiology, repatriation and indigenous knowledge and language revitalization. She can also you can also um, check out Dr. Teresi's popular show called Talanoa with Dr. T on her Facebook page. It's actually a weekly Talanoa that she hosts with her husband and can also be found on her YouTube channel. It's a family affair and you will be sure to learn a lot from her daily Talanoa. So Bula Vinaka, Dr. Teresi Wendilo, welcome to Coming to the Mat. I am so happy that you can join me on the mat today with our listeners. And also a big Vinaka uh, Vakalev for those who are taking the time out or wherever you are listening in on uh, your maybe your phone or whatever channel that you listen to. I want to say Vinaka Vakalev. Thank you very much for joining me and Dr. Teresi on coming to the mat today. <laughs> Oh, 
Thank you. Uh, yes, my name is Therese Volindilo, um, and I'm originally from the island of Kandavu on the south of Fiji. And uh, both my mom and dad are from the same island, uh, but two different villages and two different districts. Mm. Um, I'm the youngest of seven siblings. And uh, I remember growing up in Fiji, uh, my mom was a very good storyteller. Uh, she was uh, raised on the island of Kandavu, but out of all the seven siblings, I was the only one that was born and raised in Suba, the capital of Fiji. And so while growing up, I always hear my mom's stories of uh, you know, how life was like in the islands, and I kind of missed it. I miss it because I was more into the, you know, the city upbringing, city life. And so I was very curious. I usually ask my mom, so how do you get your food? Um, how many times do you go fishing? Um, who taught you how to weave? Um, because my mom was a very prolific weaver mm -hmm. and she was uh, taught how to weave by two of her grandmothers. So my two great grandmothers taught her. And so she used to tell me all these stories and uh, it really impacted my imagination uh, in terms of uh, you know life in the islands and life of the past. Mm -hmm. And that kind of um, help me uh, guide my way, so to speak, you know, from high school to university um, on how I was encouraged to follow my heart. And because I love the past, I love all things, and I also love the environment, mm -hmm. I kind of combined the two. And when I went to the University of the South Pacific in Suva to do my undergraduate studies, I naturally chose geography as my major and sociology as my minor. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, because I kind of, you know, enjoy working in the outdoors, but also I love the historical part and the stories of people. Mm -hmm. And um, so fast forward, I was able to um, complete my studies, but within my undergraduate studies, I was an exchange student to Hawaii. Um, and so that trip over to Hawaii for eight months opened my eyes to the field of anthropology and the field of archaeology. So I'm very um, blessed in a way that my journey through the help of my family and my parents um, kind of helped inform uh, my decision as to what field to follow. And so I think that was been always been my um, advice to young ones, uh, Dr. Mere, to follow their heart. Uh, mm. Whatever that your heart um, and your passion, if you're really passionate about something, you mm. go down that path and it'll, you'll never go wrong. Mm. So can you explain to us what does it mean to be an indigenous archeology? span what, what is that? What does it entail? Mm. Um, for me, um, being an indigenous person is, uh, is a privilege mm -hmm. uh, and a privilege for us to, um, I think, acknowledge and uh, not to, um, uh, what's the word, not to uh, take it lightly. Mm -hmm. uh, because it comes as well with responsibility. And for me, being an indigenous person and working in the archaeology space, which is very male dominated, and it's also very um, um, non um, indigenous because it's a very Western way of studying the past. Mm -hmm. And so my role as an indigenous archaeologist is kind of like becoming the go-between between Western science and our indigenous people. Mm -hmm. I sometimes look at myself as a bridge mm -hmm. uh, between indigenous uh, people, or in my case, the Itoki people, and 
the world of science or the world of research. And so it makes my role very exciting every day because I'm actually bringing a part of me into my work. So I don't have to separate my Fijianness. I don't have to uh, separate my uh, being from Oceania mm-hmm. to be separated from my work. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Fijianness, my being uh, an Oceania woman is included in my day-to-day work. So it really makes my work really exciting because mm-hmm. I become the voice of my people or our people mm-hmm. in the whole discussion of our past. Mm-hmm. Because as we know, archeology span is the study of the past through ar- archeological excavations. Mm-hmm. We have to dig and find evidence of, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, old prehistoric life. Mm -hmm. And that's where my work comes in. So to me, um, another answer to that question is also that uh, I can become, um, I can bring in the oral history of our people to be just as valued as the archaeological remains. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of added into the reason why I did my master's uh, degree in uh, University of Waikato was when I was investigating mm-hmm. um, archaeology and oral history. Mm-hmm. Um, because from my experience, Dr. Mary, I've noticed that a lot of uh, uh, times um, oral history of indigenous people are often, I think, looked down upon mm-hmm. or oral history is only meant to fill in the gaps Mm-hmm. Um, whereby the science, scientific side is often kind of upheld, you know, and then oral history is done here. But for me, when I did my research, I was proposing that they should be on the same platform right. because um, oral history informs archaeology right. and archaeology informs oral history. Right. Do you also think that that's because in, in the, uh, it's a sense of the Pacific um, culture, everything is passed on orally, so definitely you can you cannot separate from the scientific to the oral because that has to meet so you're kind of the bridge in between that absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely that's a very good point um i've had a lot of experiences um being the conduit mm-hmm. between um you know overseas uh, archaeologists mm-hmm. and uh, you know and and the local community right. um for example, our knowledge of trees, you know, because uh, back in the islands, you know, our ancestors, when they have their village uh, back in the day, they always plant certain trees around their village. Okay. And so myself and a few other colleagues of mine who are indigenous Itoke, Fijian too, we, we get to be the eyes and the ears Mm. Um, when we are out there in the field. Mm. And so we always tell the archaeologists, oh, okay, I think we're coming closer to an archaeological site or old village site. Mm. And they used to kind of, they look at us because they are looking at the GPS, whereby we are looking at the trees, right? (laughs) (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Yeah, and so we're kind of like, these are two different worlds coming together. So to me, I don't want to look at these two worlds clashing together or, you know, know, coming to, you know, like not meeting together, Mm -hmm. but looking at two words, you know, melting together like this. So marrying those two together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because our Mm -hmm. indigenous knowledge about botany, uh, Mm -hmm. place names, Mm -hmm. you know, all of that, it adds to 
whatever the GPS or whatever technology that uh, our colleagues. So, ba so basically, it enhances it enhances the science, and then and then in vice versa, it allows. I mean, we we're speaking using technology, so that's also you know it marries us. That so that's a wonderful way of you you know science and uh, oral cultural or uh, traditional um, passing on of knowledge. At what aspect of your work do you start to sense that, oh, I am looking at this from a matriarchal uh, approach rather than just a purely uh, archaeological approach of as, as, as a teacher? Mm, absolutely. That's a very good question. Um, for me, <clears throat> when I'm actually out there, I try to, um, you know, wear... Uh, the right hat at the right time. Mm. Um, most of the time, my uh, maternal, you know, uh, instinct kicks in, mm -hmm. um, you know, or, you know, through the matrilineal lines, you know, that right. we carry within ourselves mm -hmm. and through our family, mm -hmm. um, particularly when we are digging. And one of the um, archaeological material that we excavate a lot of times, uh, pottery, right. you know, the ceramic and the pottery. Right. And so... Um, which and one of which, which we know very well, the lapita pottery, the lapita. Yeah, reddish mm -hmm. uh, type of pottery. Mm -hmm. And so, for me, when I look at it, I see the beauty. Mm -hmm. um, when I look at the pottery, I look at the hand behind the, hand. the maker right. of the pottery. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I look at the pattern and I try and work with the rest of the team to kind of like decipher how long this um, pottery has been there. Mm -hmm. uh, because in the field of archaeology, uh, there's always the, the dates it's already been, you know, set through mm -hmm. the previous um, exca excavations and analysis. Mm -hmm. So you've got the Lapita mm -hmm. uh, time period, which is like 3,000 years ago, mm -hmm. and then you've got the in Fiji the Sinatoka phase mm -hmm. and then you have the Navatu phase and then mm -hmm. the Wunda phase mm -hmm. and so um, through that scientific training it allowed me to kind of look wow so this women who made this pottery made this like 3,000 years ago right. and that kind of like gave me more um, reason to find out um, mm -hmm. who are these potters right. um, which, tri which tribe do they belong to mm -hmm. um, which clay do they use? Mm -hmm. What kind of sand? Where did they get the sand from? And mm -hmm. so it helped inform mm -hmm. a whole load of history behind just by looking at one piece of pottery. Right. And, um, and that kind of helped me appreciate the work of women. Um, you know, to realize that pottery is an uh, industry led and run by women. Mm -hmm. And in Fiji, a lot of the pottery industry is now gone extinct. Mm -hmm. So that's only a few. Uh, the province of Rewa mm -hmm. and the province of Nandronga are the only two provinces that are still active in making pottery right now as we speak. So it's amazing how you, you know, just by asking that question, you start to... Uh, just you and I talking, as we, you know, alluded to in the first beginning of our program, we talk about stories, you know, mm -hmm. and here we are talking about this women, and, and not only are they women, they're uh, part of us coming, you know, when we talk about the Lapita people, these are people who came to settle mostly, you know, the islands, and then obviously even I'm from Vanuatu, they were big, huge dick right there, so the knowledge that they brought with them, the, you know, their behaviors and, and everything within the essence of who they are. Um, it's amazing how we can go back 
and your work as an archaeology or anthropology, um, you know, that's just mind blowing in a sense that you almost like that you said you were the go between, but at the same time, you're the holder, the story storyteller or the knowledge holder, irrespective of who these women, these women are. And these women are re reflective of who you and I are as we're sitting here talking across the medium of technology of what's called Zoom today, <laughs> you know? And so as you were talking about this poetry, I was wondering also if they had the same, do you think that that also expanded into the weavings, the tapper, the designs on the, you know, the mats that we have today? Um, how are they? Uh, how are they in, in parallel or correlate to each other, in that sense mm -hmm. that these women could transcend from the poetry to weaving to ra raising of kids? And as you study all this, how do you see that as as a reflection of what we still hold today? Mm, absolutely. Um, yeah, for me, I kind of have a lot of admiration eh, for our um, um, women folk, you know, our grandmothers and our mothers and our aunts, sisters who um, are so creative mm. in a lot of ways. So to me, when I look at all these designs on the pottery uh, and even on the, you know, the mats and the tapa and the tatau, you know, mm. the gear, um, you know, the, the tattoo designs. Right. These are right. forms of language, oh. you know. So when you're looking at all these patterns um, that are imprinted on many of these art form, mm -hmm. um, it kind of like a, sort of a language in a time capsule. Mm -hmm. That's how I look at it, mm -hmm. you know. It's sort of a, a language that was imprinted on a certain... Uh, material, whether it's uh, ceramic, whether it's wood, uh, whether it's uh, on textile, or whether it's on somebody's body, because uh -huh. it talks about the history of the particular person that work on the particular art, uh, you know, art, or actually has the art on themselves, because it talks about the genealogy, it talks about their journey, it talks mm. about their migration stories, mm. and so... Uh, in the case of Fiji, a lot of our uh, tapa designs and patterns are regionalized. So for us, when we look at a certain tapa, we know straight away if it's from the Conroy. Mm -hmm. We look at a pattern, we know it's from Mothe. Mm -hmm. We look at another pattern, we know it's from Vatulele. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it just you know, shows to us today, mm -hmm. as women, that going back in time, they were creating mm -hmm. a new form of language mm -hmm. that was relevant to them at that time. Mm -hmm. Now you and I and mm -hmm. our daughters and our grandchildren, we will look back to reflect on uh, this amazing art that these women were able to transpose, you mm -hmm. know, in different materials, you know. Yeah. It was amazing on mats, on mm -hmm. tapa. Mm. on, uh, you know, the carvings mm. and uh, even on the sailing um, uh, mat mm -hmm. uh, and on the tattoo designs. Tattoo design. Yes, and pottery designs. All of this um, mm. shows a lot of evidence of, uh, of deep knowledge right. that our grandmothers and our mothers had at that. You were talking about a little bit about, you know, the different design and the different, you know, places where you... I, you can identify, especially in Fiji, and I think of like in Vanuatu is the same patterns of weavings. Where whatever islands you go, 
in the 83 archipelago of the, you know, Y shape of Vanuatu, you can tell, you know, you can tell the different patterns and, and all of that. And it's just amazing how in every activity that they partake in, whether it's cooking, you know, rearing of children, um, everything, or the stories they tell, you know, there is always a, a sense of a pattern that seems to take place throughout. And, and, and so we still see that today. So um, your, your work seems to have a common thread that runs through your work, obviously. So your passion for connecting, like you were saying before, and sharing histories of the past, artifacts and indigenous people. Um, and I see that you do that a lot in your Talanoa, coming uh, in your Talanoa with Dr. T. Um, how do you incorporate when you're doing your Talanoa on your Facebook or uh, YouTube, how do you incorporate those, the places, the artifacts and indigenous people in your weekly, how do you figure out what to talk about? And uh, say you're talking about fish, you know, and we were just, you know, talking about all the history of how those knowledges are passed down. So I see that, you know, the reason why I ask about your, your, the sense of being the matriarchal, um, you know, passing on of knowledge is because I see that in your work when you do that, the Talanoi, you know, it's almost like a mother uh, talking to the children about, you know, passing on the, the history, the knowledge. And so how do you do that? What, 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 what made you pick like certain topics for the day? How do you go about that? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. So what I do uh, in, uh, as you know, with my Talano with Dr. T this year, 2021, mm. um, I've divided it up with uh, uh, the help of my children and my husband. Mm. We put together a program for the 12 months of the year oh. to, mm -hmm. to include the 14 provinces of Fiji okay. so that each month we focus on a particular province. Mm -hmm. And then what I do, I start off with what I'm strong in, which is archaeology. Oh. And so in the beginning of January, I talked about the archaeology of uh, Nandrogana Wosa. Mm -hmm. And then last month, I talked about the archaeology of Mba. And mm -hmm. so yesterday, I did my, um, you know, a little bit about the archaeology of Ra. Mm -hmm. And so um, I start off with what I'm strong in, mm -hmm. uh, because it uh, helps draw people in, because they, they trust uh, the information that I share is from my personal experience and what mm -hmm. I've done over the years. And then mm -hmm. I try to weave in mm -hmm. what is peculiar in that particular region. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, just to give you an example, um, yesterday, one of the archaeological sites mm -hmm. that I talked about was called Navatu. And oh. then as I was doing my research, mm -hmm. I found out that Navatu uh -huh. has a history of pottery making. So Navatu means the stone. Stone, yes. Yeah. You, you know, you want to know where my village is named? Lavatu. See, I need to visit your <laughs> your your island when COVID nineteen goes away. Yes. Yeah. And so what I did was I I looked at the you know the archaeological sites and then I find out what is special about this place mm. and. I was doing some reading about this particular archaeological site and I found out that the two villages right next to it's like a volcanic plug. Mm -hmm. So over here is uh, the village of Vitao, Narewa, and mm -hmm. the village of Vitao. Mm -hmm. Now these two villages, the ladies there used to make pottery 
Mm-hmm. Way before, and the last one died in 1935. Really? So, so they've lost the whole tradition of pottery making. So mm-hmm. when I was making the announcement yesterday on my Talanoa, there was so much appreciation that was coming through in two mm-hmm. ways. One, one people were a little bit shocked to surprised mm-hmm. to know because that knowledge is lost. Mm-hmm. And number two is a deep appreciation that now they are reminded mm-hmm. that their grandmothers used to make pottery. Uh, and so that's how I tried to tailor my story mm. to either, you know, reignite, right. you know, their interest in a certain cultural, uh, mm. you know, art form mm. or, you know, to kind of maybe encourage mm. the younger generation to go back mm. and revisit some of their old history mm. so that the women in that area, maybe they can bring back the art of pottery. You know, mm. even though it's, uh, what, 80 years uh, old now, you know, mm. that knowledge has been lost, but it doesn't mean that you cannot bring it back. Right. And so I tried to kind of, you know, weave some um, old stories with it to uh, Dr. Mary. Mm. And then what I try and do too, I use photographs. Mm. So I go into the archives and then I, uh, I pull out some images Mm-hmm. Uh, from those places and I put it in my PowerPoint. So when I'm talking, mm-hmm. I'm actually turning my camera on and focusing on the map so that my listeners are actually going with me on this visual tour on the actual map. Right. And so the feedback, uh, Dr. Mera, has been mm-hmm. so positive because that's how I try to make it personal to them. Tell us how, why it's so important to tell stories? Why is it important that we know our traditional, you know, stories, mm-hmm. the knowledge? Because I feel like this time, what COVID has also presented is, especially for Indigenous people, we're showing the world that, you know, we haven't changed. Things haven't changed. They just look a little bit different. It's just a different form of putting it, but the knowledge is still there. You know, and this is an example of what exactly what we're doing. So why is it that it's so important that children, you know, young, old, whoever, still it's important to maintain those um, skills of storytelling, but not just that, knowing your history, knowing your culture. Um, Why is that important? Yes, uh, to me, um, Dr. Mary, I know that, you know, knowledge is power mm. and, uh, you know, for you, us to have a, a very strong and powerful, um, you know, young generation of any nation, mm. um, they need to know who they are. They need to know um, their history and their prehistory. And if they're grounded, um, you know, with themselves, if they know themselves first, mm-hmm. then they can be able to impact their knowledge and empower others. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of like the formula I have in my mind. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm looking at my Talano with Dr. T as a, you know, like a transformational um, type of program to uh, change people's uh, view of themselves. Mm-hmm. I'm using my platform and using my indigenous language mm-hmm. to tell my people that it's okay to speak your own language. Mm-hmm. Um, even though you live overseas, you don't have to lose your language. Mm-hmm. Um, and also for the younger generation not to lose you know, their language, because once they lose their language and lose their, their connection about themselves, then, they, then their connection to the future is going to be lost. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, I believe that the storytelling is like a glue. You mm-hmm. know, it uh, it connects um, generations. Mm-hmm. It connects the previous generation to the present one, mm-hmm. and then our present one can connect to the future generation. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I would really like to empower you know, mm-hmm. as many educators as possible, even academics, mm-hmm. um, they need to, you know, find, you know, maybe find a way to creatively um, change their method of delivery mm-hmm. so that our people, rather than just dishing out information, mm-hmm. it has to mm-hmm. have the information that empowers. Mm-hmm. It has to have an information that is connected to our listeners so mm-hmm. that they can do something about it. That's mm-hmm. one thing I really like, like and enjoy about storytelling. It is powerful. Yeah, so it's almost like it's authentic, um, and also when you tell the story, it relates. They can they can see themselves in it. Um, do you th- see that as also um, part of uh, writing stories? Do you, do you think that that's something that is important to encourage our young people to write their own stories and how that connects to where they're from? Absolutely. Mm. Um, I think for, you know, a younger generation to have their voices heard, Mm -hmm. um, they have to think outside the box. Mm -hmm. So one is by looking at, you know, having their voices heard through these types of mediums, you know, Mm -hmm. using social media, uh, because a lot of our younger generation are really, you know, technologically savvy. So they can utilize that platform um, to, you know, share their own story and record their own stories Mm -hmm. and to write their own stories. So our younger younger people today, they have more options, uh, you know, in order for them to record and write their own stories because each story uh, Mm. for each child is just as valuable, you know, as any other child, you know, in any part of the world. The more we record our stories, the more empowered the writer is going to be and the more empowered the reader is going to be. That's true. That's exactly true. So how do you apply this, this, the passion, you know, of keeping those histories of places out of and indigenous people in real life like give an example um, maybe like a project that you've done in the past or how, how do you how does that come to uh, flourish for you as a mm. historian of anthropology yes mm. um, yeah thank you there's uh, two projects that uh, comes to mind I remember when I was at the Fiji Museum and I was working there uh, when we used to go around the island um, do archaeological excavations we often get asked about you know what are you doing uh, why are you digging mm. um, you know all those kind of things and and then we explain to them and then we go to the next village and then we say the same thing and over and mm. over again and so I kind of thought outside the box and said, maybe rather than us, you know, talking like this all the time, maybe I should write a book. Mm. And so I went back to Suva and I uh, wrote a bilingual mm. uh, resource on uh, the story of Lapita Pottery. Oh. And I made it like a, a resource for uh, for young children, but I was targeting the ages of seven to 12. Um, and I made it visually rich. I had photographs that were sent in uh, by archaeologists who worked in Fiji. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were willing. They didn't charge me anything. Mm-hmm. Um, they can see that uh, uh, the storybook that I'm going to write um, mm-hmm. was going to be very important to all the schools in Fiji, mm-hmm. but also the younger generation. And so I was able to publish that book in 2006 and funded by the New Zealand government. 
government. Mm -hmm. And uh, now teachers are still asking for it. it uh, I have to have it reprinted because um, I think I've run out of the books. They've been sold to many schools all over Fiji and, and other parts of the world. So I have to mm -hmm. get it reprinted. Mm -hmm. So that is like one action um, mm -hmm. that I did mm -hmm. to make the pottery stories come alive. Come alive. I made the pottery mm -hmm. you know, become mm -hmm. the feature of the story. Mm -hmm. and bilingual and I was asked a few times why did you not just write it in Fijian and I was like you know I want to make it bilingual so that the children in the diaspora mm -hmm. can also read it and understand it right. and they can also learn a little bit of Fijian. Yes that's true that's yeah. true so so we, we've been speaking about the Lapita people for a little bit here now Talonoa maybe it's and I'm going to hand you the microphone to tell us a little bit about who this Lapita people is, because this is going to be fascinating for those who perhaps don't know much about the history of how the Pacific was settled. Um, since you're in the right position to talk about this, I give mm -hmm. you the, the stage to tell us a little bit about the Lapita people. It'd yes, be a fascinating absolutely. thing. Yes. Um, yeah, so based on... Uh, you know, archaeological evidence, uh, utilizing the uh, evidence of pottery, mm -hmm. uh, human remains, charcoal, shells, wood, and lots of other artifacts that were excavated uh, in many islands in the Pacific, archaeologists uh, find out, found out that, um, that there was a common thread that connected us from Papua New Guinea all the way to Fiji, Samoa, and to Tonga. And they found out that there was a a unique type of pottery that was found and very, very similar. Um, and so they discovered it at the Bismarck Archipelago in, uh, in Papua New Guinea, mm -hmm. and it's found in New Ireland and uh, in New Britain. Mm -hmm. And then it come all the way to the Solomon Islands, and it's also found in Vanuatu, in the Teuma site. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also found, of course, in New Caledonia, Fiji, Tonga, and Samoa. Mm -hmm. Now, this type of pottery is very reddish in color. Yes. And uh, it's uh, got very fine um, designs. It's much finer mm. than the designs of the pottery that you find today. Right. Um, and so it's very unique, the type of chemical and the, the chemical content mm -hmm. of the clay and the sand, mm -hmm. is, it's unique. Mm -hmm. And also the word Lapita actually is from um, New Caledonia. Uh, it's the original Kanak word right. in Pine, uh, mm. on the main island of New Caledonia. So um, one of the professors uh, from um, um, uh, America went over and uh, they were digging in the site in Kone mm. and they were picking up the, you know, these huge, huge pieces of pottery. Mm. And uh, apparently the word that was being said was Zapita. Uh, because it was written in the, it was mentioned in the local dialect, but the American gentleman that was there wrote it as Lapita with an L A, and so the word Lapita, you know, has spread all throughout. But the credit goes back to New Caledonia. So I'm always remembering our Kanaks uh, brothers and sisters in Kone, where the first Lapita pottery was found. It's uh, written with an X, so oh. X A, and then P I T A. Yeah. Okay. And so this pottery has been dated uh, to 3,000 years ago. So if you translate it, it's about 1,290 years before Christ was born. 
Wow. So we're talking about BC, yeah? BC. And so, yeah, so that's a date for Fiji. And as you go westward to Vanuatu, it gets older. As you go to the Solomon Islands, as you go to Papua New Guinea, mm. it gets much, much older. Mm. So that kind of proves that these Lapita people who were looked upon as coastal dwellers, right. island to island, mm -hmm. and they, they took with them this art form of mm -hmm. uh, pottery uh, that was very, very special. Mm -hmm. And that's how far back it uh, dates um, to 3,000 years ago. Mm. So they, were they originally from Taiwan? Yes, so the pottery that goes back all the way uh, through the Philippines, it has some connection with Malaysia and Indonesia, and it goes back all the way to Taiwan. Yes, so the pottery um, is one of the identification marker of the Lapita people that connects back to ancient Taiwan. So not the Taiwan. No, not the Taiwan. Yeah, but the indigenous Taiwanese people who uh, were also mm -hmm. making big potteries uh, way back then. Why was rice only, only stopped in Taiwan, mm. uh, Phil, uh, Philippines and other parts and not all the way down to mm. Fiji, the Melanesian group, all the way to the Polynesian? Why yeah. do you think that? Um, because I think there were other options, you know, mm. of food that they had access to, uh, particularly in our part of the world, uh, going back to all the way to Papua New Guinea. You know, we have, you know, yams and we oh. have potatoes and mm. we have kalo um, mm. that was easy to transport, but also able to adapt, you know, to the environment uh, of the islands, you know, mm. where, where we live. Mm. And so even going back to, you know, to Indonesia, even going back to the Philippines, right. they also have kalo. You know, they mm -hmm. also have a variety Part different yeah. kalo. Mm -hmm. And I have to also mention that Papua New Guinea is such a very interesting place. It's a different place. Yeah. Yes, because mm -hmm. a lot of agricultural re revolution mm -hmm. and civilization for our part of the world began in Papua New, Papua New Guinea. Guinea. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So there's still a lot of research that we need to do in that part of the world to make us celebrate because Melanesia is such a wonderful place on this yeah. earth. Mm -hmm. You know, even in Papua New Guinea, they're so diverse, you know, language, biodiversity, mm -hmm. as well as agriculture. Yes, it is. It is a very, very diverse place. Um, so with the Lapita people, does that mean that because of that, we, we have those Austronesian languages that somehow, you know, I mean, speaking about Vanuatu, uh, even though the Papuans came and mixed with the Lapita people, yet somehow they maintained those languages. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. So is that how it all spread? Yes. Mm -hmm. so as they move around, the thing too with the that we found out through some of the research that has been done mm -hmm. is that um, Lapita people, they were one of the many migrations oh, that okay. took place uh, in our part of the in world. The part of the, okay. But it impacted a lot of the islands because of the presence of the Lapita pottery. Mm -hmm. And so it informed the archaeologists that if Lapita pottery is found in the Bismarcks, in New mm -hmm. Island, New Britain, all throughout the Solomon Islands, in the Vanuatu, New Caledonia, Fiji, Tonga, and Samoa, mm. that says something. Right. This means that the people that were bringing this pottery, they must have been of the same people mm. because the tools that they were bringing were the same. Were the same. Mm. And also they found out that they also speak, 
you know, the Austronesian yeah. language, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, yeah. everywhere they go, mm -hmm. they take the language with them. And as they move, there's some variations here and there, mm -hmm. but you know, it's most of our counting and the words for lots of things. Yeah. Very, very similar. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were just talking about, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. this language yeah. becomes the glue. Yeah, yeah. And I was also talking to Dr. Tina, and she, you know, we identified in, in Guam, the Chamorro people, uh, they say Tano, which in, in my Raga language, we say, you know, the people of the land, Tano. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so it's interesting that you, as we, the more we do our dialects or our Talanora, we start to <laughs> somehow figure out, oh, okay, we are connected in some ways. <laughs> what is more world? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. There's yeah. so much more to find and to celebrate. Right. So what excites you the most about um, your work? What is, what is the one thing that excites you the most about your work? Yes, for me, one thing that really excites me is, you know, when I have the opportunity to share, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the research that I do, mm -hmm. um, I love to, um, you know, share the information to the people that the information is actually rightfully theirs. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel privileged, you know, that I have access to museum collections, you know, artifacts. I go to museum collections and I find this beautiful woven baskets, you know. For example, I went to the British Museum and I was shown this beautiful basket that was made of human hair. Wow. And uh, it was brought in from Tonga and gifted to, from the King of Tonga to the King of Fiji, uh, Ratu Apinisa Siru Dakumbau. And so, you know, when I look at those baskets, you know, I'm in awe. I'm, I'm looking, I'm at talking to myself and thinking, how many other people have seen this basket? Mm -hmm. You know, how many other people have seen this whale's tooth? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I'm standing in the storeroom all by myself and I feel right. like, okay, I'm from Fiji mm -hmm. and I'm in this room in England. Mm -hmm. So what is my responsibility? Do I just keep the information to myself mm -hmm. or should I share it with my people? Mm -hmm. And so that is a passion that I have. I just love, you know, to share information with everybody. And if they get a chance to go to museums, mm -hmm. um, you know, get a chance to go to places where they can find information themselves, mm -hmm. that gives me great satisfaction. So that's just something I just love doing when I see people's faces, when they smile mm -hmm. and when they feel that sense of connection, yeah. I'm happy. Yeah. So we, uh, I want to touch a little bit about you you're saying that sharing of, you know, um, identity or knowledge that brings, you know, to, to, to the people. Um, does that also implicates or enriches that culturally uh, approach of reciprocity, of sharing of knowledge? Is that something that you feel, uh, and again, I'm going to go back to the word of matriarchal, um, you know, caring of, just caring about, uh, you know, we, when we see knowledge, knowledge to the Pacific Island people, it's not something that we, I mean, we do sort after, but it's not something that you have to study so hard. It's something that you have to be willing to uh, not just receive it, but listen and uh, take it with all the most respect you can possibly can because you don't hold it to yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to give it because it's meant for you to pass it on. Yes. So do you feel like 
that to you also implies your responsibility of reciprocity as it's naturally known within the Pacific culture of, you know, giving of oneself. It's because it's not about us, me, it's about all of us together. Does that, when you do that, does that come to, in essence, becomes of who enriches you in your work? Absolutely, mm. absolutely, Dr. Mary. I've actually, uh, myself and Carly, my husband and my children, mm. we've just been so blessed. Mm. Um, you know, we have been blessed in sort of like very different ways of blessings that has come our way. Um, for example, um, in the month of February, we were focusing on the province of Mba. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we often do research and uh, try to do a lot of reading. We go to the library, online libraries and access information. But I have to tell you, Mary, with so much sharing that we've been doing, people are actually sending us, even without us oh, prompting anybody. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that to me is a blessing in itself. You know, out right. of the blue, mm -hmm. I get an email and somebody says, I, I was doing my reading and I found this information and I want to share it with you because I know you're going to look after it and I know you're going to share it. And so, you know, when you look at the Bible as well, you know, mm -hmm. blessed are the ones that give yeah, and yeah. the ones that receive, mm -hmm. you know, so when you look at it from a spiritual point of view, mm -hmm. but also when you look at it from a very oceanic way mm -hmm. of living, mm -hmm. you know, we are so, we're such generous people. We are, right. you know, giving to, to people, but we're also blessed. Right. That's one thing I have to say to Dr. Mary, that my children are watching what we do. And so mm -hmm. they're learning from it too. And I feel blessed that I noticed that my children are learning from this platform and mm -hmm. they are creating their own niche you know, within mm. their own spaces. Like, mm. for example, my daughter was inspired by my Talanoa program mm. that she created Fijian language-inspired jewelries. Mm. And now she's starting her own jewelry line. Mm. And so I find that as a blessing as well, because I was mm. thinking, Dr. Mary, if it was COVID-19 and I wasn't doing the Talanoa program, mm. I don't think my daughter would have found that niche that she really enjoys right now. Right. You know? So right. that's when I really believe that when you give, mm. you will receive. Mm. So when I give my time and I can become the conduit mm. of sharing of information to um, my people, mm -hmm. then there will be blessings that will come my way as well. Mm. Um, mm. What do you like to say to the women up there in, in, in Fiji, Indonesia, but the rest of our region of the Pacific? Mm. Yes, thank you, Dr. Mary, um, yeah, for the opportunity for me to uh, share my thoughts. Um, for me, speaking from uh, a background of uh, you know anthropology and archaeology, I just want to uh, remind our women, our, our young girls, our young mothers who may be listening to this program, is to uh, include their heritage. Mm and their uh, work, never separate them. Because to me, I believe that incorporating our heritage stories, our heritage lines, our you know maternal connections back to the land, and all that, if you include it in your line of work, whether you are a lawyer, whether you are a nurse, whether you are a doctor, um, in whatever field that you're in, it make your work very worthwhile. Mm -hmm. I believe that our, you know, indigenous um, indigenousness and our indigenous heritage is um, a gift. Mm -hmm. And if we bring a gift and weave it together mm -hmm. into your line of work, whether mm -hmm. you are teaching, whether you work in public policy, uh, whether you, you know, are in a very important decision-making um, position, 
or even you know working in the village or in a local kindergarten or being a mom heritage will take you far mm-hmm. i speak for it myself as well uh, dr mary um that everywhere i go I incorporate my fidgetiness in everything. Do uh, even when I introduce myself, I go to some international meetings. But I always tell people that I'm a fidget first and foremost, mm-hmm. and then I explain other things that I do. And I notice that a lot of people they welcome that and they embrace me, you know, into their space. So uh, I'm speaking from experience. Never be ashamed of it, mm-hmm. and never look down at it as a as a negative. No. If you're from uh, from Vanuatu, from Kiribati, from if you're Chom, from Guam, Kanak, from Indonesia, we have so much to offer. And if I can make a difference in my own space, and with Dr. Mary, I'm making a difference in a space um, as a Nivanuatu and uh, a program for the Melanesian region and for the whole world, mm. then the two of us can do that. We empower others come after us. Thank you so much for coming to the mat with me today. I'm so so excited that you did come, and I have learned so much, so much from you for for this time on the mat. Thank you so much. podcast is created and produced by Melanesian Women Today, a non-profit organization. Please visit our website at www.melanesianwomentoday.org. That is all one word. Melanesian Women Today envisions a Pacific region where every woman, girl, and child in their respective communities in Melanesia lives a productive, healthy, and fulfilling life. We are on a mission to improve the well-being and quality of lives and also to promote and improve leadership in women and girls in their communities. Please consider making a donation today on our website to support our work. Thank you for your support.